0: Hello everybody, I'm Victoria Austin and I'm your host for today at This Is Shadow Talk. We are covering the weekly highlights in the cybersecurity field. Joining me to discuss these the weekly highlights are um, Phil Doherty and Adam Cook. Hey, welcome back. Oh yeah. We are in London, that's why it's great to have you guys here joining me. To get things started, we're going to dive into the first story, which uh, involves um, news from Adobe. So Adobe reported that they had an un- unsecured Elasticsearch database, which resulted in the exposure of account information belonging to 7.5 million Adobe Creative Cloud users. So, um, I guess Adam, yeah, how was the data first discovered?
1: Yeah, interesting one. So uh, details primarily included information about customer accounts. Uh, reportedly, no passwords or financial information, but this was stuff like email addresses. Member IDs, uh, country of origin, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and there is a one or two specific security researchers that have been kind of looking at this stuff since about 2015. And in that time, uh, there's an interesting article uh, written by the pair of them where they were kind of discussing the extent to which Elasticsearch is continuing to be compromised or exposed. Uh, so since 2015. The pair were saying that out of all the data breaches that they've seen, they estimated that 60% can be traced to exposed elastic search instances, which is, you know, quite significant. Um, But, you know, you've got people, I I suppose the key point from them is that you've got not only, it's quite lucky that you've got white hats, as it were, like, like like-minded security researchers out there looking for this stuff so they can... Identify it before, I guess, malicious threat actors would. So, yeah, it's just a case of these guys doing research into it, especially Elasticsearch, which uh, has had a fair few uh, instances. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually least. worth kind yeah.
0: of distinguishing or identifying what Elasticsearch is because mm-hmm. there are quite a few databases. So, um, there's a, another example, would be MongoDB. Yep. Um, Elasticsearch specifically is kind of like a document store. So, this means that it's designed for like text searching,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I guess Adobe would have used Elasticsearch um, based on a certain use case. So I guess it's d- it's down to preference um, how an organization stores its data. But yeah, I think if we just touch on the fact that you mentioned it was white hats that discovered it, mm-hmm. you know having it publicly exposed does make a cyber criminal's job a lot easier here doesn't it
1: and it's not difficult to find this stuff you know they talk about how simple their methodology actually is so it's just a case of a set of search engines that uh, crawl the web for exposed ips and ports i guess probably showdown showdown is part of that um that toolkit similar to how google crawls the web for different websites they use these tools that they can use to see what's connected and what's, what's exposed, like exposed endpoints, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if we talk about like a bit more specifically about how it was exposed. So in this ca- or in certain cases, it would have been yeah, publicly available on the internet, which allowed it, the security researchers to locate the database. Mm-hmm. But it, it shouldn't be made publicly available. So if an organization was looking to prevent this kind of exposure moving forwards or have it, prevented just overall um we should be looking at i i guess the first step is having authentication authentication to kind of prevent people accessing it and then i guess another thing to consider is to not have the data exposed on the internet in the first place which goes back to the point of having this sort of monitoring in place i think another thing to kind of um touch on is Elasticsearch in general, the actual security protocols, you know, because I think similar to kind of S3, so Amazon S3, um, if I just kind of hark back to the fact that we had research which looked at the number of databases exposed, um, this was called TMI, we um, identified the fact that within a year S3 buckets um, had kind of decreased, um, the number of files exposed on S3 files had decreased because over time, Amazon S3 had introduced an S3 bucket protocol, so a security protocol, which prevented it from being inadvertently exposed. And I guess if we kind of liken it to Elasticsearch, maybe a similar process should be introduced to prevent this inadvertent exposure.
1: Definitely. Yeah. yeah I think the Elasticsearch specifically doesn't yet have a built in authentication or authorization mechanism. So that obviously then requires. Uh, further investment and configuration on the user's end. And I think that's just typical, um, you know, the added effort that that, that that takes or that requires to make something more secure. And I think, you know, these researchers came out and said it. It's not, there is the documentation there. There is the information there to, to, to you know, provide to users if they are looking to secure this stuff. Mm. So it's just that little bit of extra effort to help raise the bar, like the standard for, security can be raised and it's not that difficult to do so I think like you say if you were to compare the two of them there's definitely a case to be made for Elasticsearch to implement something as a standard perhaps. Yeah
0: I'm also just uh, looking at a blog that um, Elasticsearch had published this was in uh, May 2019 and the headline is security for Elasticsearch is now free which indicates that security prior to this announcement was not free so it was an additional add-on um which kind of yeah the fact that you have to pay for a protocol or pre- pay to prevent your security from being exposed is uh, i guess it is, is kind of confuses me you know like why is that why do people have to pay
1: for that it'd be, it interesting. be, first. It be interesting first it'd be interesting to look at the figures wouldn't it if you looked at it beforehand when it wasn't free and then you compared the amount of people that like took that security on after it became free. That'd be an interesting, uh, yeah, interesting so, survey to do. Also,
0: the announcement um, highlights that the free, um, the free security features apply to certain versions that you have. So people who haven't updated to the latest version or may not have paid for the latest version mm-hmm. won't have this access. So, um, yeah, I guess it kind of, <laughs> I. I yeah, they're kind of, like, rank, I guess they're... Certain members are allowed in the club and others aren't. Like, everyone should be given access to security. like yeah, security University. club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just think, overall, that's um, an interesting development. And um, I imagine other organisations are going to be facing the same issue with Elasticsearch, having not known what's out there. So, um, I guess the next thing to then move on to is... Um, this ongoing or shall we say yeah this ransomware attack that the city of Johannesburg is currently experiencing. So um, to kind of get into a bit more detail the um, city of Joburg released a statement acknowledging that they had detected a network breach in their systems which allowed attackers to um, have unauthorized access to the system. I'm kind of looking actually, when when I look at the statement, it says, the city of Joburg releases a statement um, that they had identified a network breach. But then I kind of, this kind of conflicts with the fact that on their actual website, um, there was a statement from the actual attackers that said, your city has been hacked. Hello, Joburg city, here are Shadow Kill hackers speaking. All of your servers and data have been hacked. So I guess, did they identify the hack after this note had been added to their website, you know? um that kind of can can be determined a bit later on but yeah. anyway I've, I've got phil here to kind of go yeah, a bit more detail but um when we talk about the network breach i guess importantly yeah, what was kind of affected her
2: yeah i think um start when i when i read this first it, it got a bit confusing because when you say the city of johannesburg you think every single person exactly, is getting yeah. targeted with a ransomware attack or a ransom attack um but no it's it's it specifically um the City of Joburg company, so sort of their websites um, and their and their systems. So um, the ransom attack took place on or started, should I say, on the twenty fourth of October, um, and it was initially um, a network compromise and data breach. So they accessed, um, the, uh, not one hundred percent sure what data it is, um, but they're demanding four Bitcoin for it. So it's about 37,000 US dollars as payment to regain control of some of this sort of undisclosed sensitive data. Um, I think all they talk about is that it's data related to the city um, at this stage, but there's an investigation ongoing. So you're right, yeah, you mentioned they were called uh, Shadow Kill. So not a lot of information is out there about this group at the moment, but I'm sure as this keeps going on and as the investigation unfolds, there'll be a, a few more reports talking about who they are, what they do or sort of their previous Mm. activity as well
0: I think yeah when you talk about previous activity it'd be interesting to understand whether the same group were responsible for the first attack Mm. um, on the power was it the power one in July yeah in July so to kind of make it a bit clearer so this is the second um, attack that has impacted the city of Joburg
2: yeah so So this time around it, it looked at sort of customer facing systems so you've got e-services, billing, payment systems, and the city website itself, um, whereas the last one was targeting the, the power supply grid um, uh, and sort of that aspect of the, the critical national infrastructure.
0: But also um, to kind of go back to the point about the actual ransomware fee. So um, in response, the Johannesburg finance chief has said that they're not going to um, concede the attacker's demands. I think the um, deadline to pay the ransomware fee was on the 20 eighth twenty eighth at five pm, and so at this stage, we need to identify whether the the attackers will live up to their claim that they're just going to release yeah. the data. So,
2: yeah, it's a good, good point, especially now if, if we can't get onto the website, that might be that might be quite interesting. Um, typically, if if you get to a, at the end of a ransom deadline as well, and no one's paid up. Um, it can it can go one of two ways. It can go okay. I'm going to disclose all of this information that we've got on you uh, to the public, or if they are sort of just claiming attention, then you don't really see much of a fallout of it. Um, it's one of those let's hedge our bets and try and get some money by demanding this um, these Bitcoin. But it's 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 one of those where the, the, as the investigation goes on, more will come out about it. Um, but it. The whole infrastructure of, well, not the whole infrastructure, that's a bad way of saying it, but some of the infrastructure surrounding some of the cities in South Africa, um, from a cybersecurity standpoint, they're they're lacking a bit. Um, so I'm not saying this is how they manage to conduct these attacks specifically, um, but there are opportunities to conduct some significant cyber activity through aspects like load shedding. Mm. Um, so load shedding is, for anyone who's, who's listening and doesn't know, it's sort of the where power is managed um, and sometimes prevented in certain cities for a a disclosed period of time um, due to the poor energy infrastructure that that they have. So if systems go offline due to load shedding and and the likes of backup generators restore certain systems that may not have updated security standards or were in the middle of um, uh, performing updates or downloads or anything like that, that could be a legitimate pathway to exploit um, so there are timetables to manage this sort of this shedding that goes on or control this shedding times. But the age-old thing of human error is, is always going to in, intervene at any stage. Um, I think one of the other things to talk about is, is why these types of cities and this type of industry is targeted. Mm-hmm. So you've got the, the power supply grid that's targeted in July and you've got um, another aspect of the national infrastructure infrastructure being sort of the city website, the the city payments, uh, potentially contact information or the ability to, to contact um, the city itself, um, they are highly desirable by a whole range of threat actors, so particularly given the impact that that can have. Um, so, for example, energy power grids, then you're not going to have any power. You could affect water supplies, city website and emergency services contactability. Um these are all perceptively or these could increase the the perception that they might pay uh, a ransom demand in the first place mm-hmm. and if you have a a lack of infrastructure or if you have poor security standards in the city then the two go together quite nicely for a threat a threat actor um been a
1: couple of cases like that in the US i think mm-hmm. over the last couple of years yeah. um you know going after the communications systems for the emergency services yeah, in yeah, certain, yeah, yeah. certain states
2: the emergency services are th- they're a really highly targeted one i'd say there's a fair few of those goes on
0: yeah and i think when you end up in those services it's not the first place you want to be in you don't consider when you're going to visit the hospital or you're in a, yeah. an emergency service that their security isn't like it's just not it's not what you think about when you're yeah there, exactly your security so you're
2: there for one reason <laughs> like um yeah, I mean, when when the methods of this come out, uh, I'm sure there'll be there'll be more um, information on the investigation. Yeah, um, uh,
0: yeah, I think specifically more around like the tools that they used or yeah, exactly how they whether gained
2: it was whether it was a tool or if it was just the breach that was um, the actual information today,
1: as well. Yes. Like it's quite you know for like a highly targeted incident like that, it's quite a I don't know would you say large sum to demand?
2: No, I, I would. I would have thought if you're if you're going to be targeting a, a, a city itself or claiming to be targeting a city you'd be you'd be asking for a bit more than 37 grand
1: mm. be interesting to see if it was a bluff though do you know what i mean like yeah. if they came in like struggling to think like what kind of information yeah. they could legitimately like steal mm-hmm. it would be yeah it's, it's an interesting one to watch yeah. despite I think being re- yeah regardless it's
0: still it's extremely disruptive so yeah um yeah cool well, uh, the next story involves um, APT28, aka Fancy Bear, not to be confused with the group Fancy Bears, Certainly which not. I mistakenly, yeah, I <laughs> but um, APT28 <coughs> have been identified targeting anti-doping authorities and sporting organisations. So Adam, I'll kind of lead this into.
1: Yes. So another instance uh, reported on by the Microsoft Threat Intel Center. Uh, who are claiming that Fancy Bear, ABT28, have been targeting anti doping authorities and sporting organizations around the world? I think it was 16 different campaigns or cases that they said. Um, and quite timely, in that I think the World Anti Doping Agency had just released a warning or like reported on something in September time that Russia could still face a ban from all major sporting events. Mm-hmm. For, for those that aren't aware, they, they were handed uh, a ban for the last Olympic Games and that it was widely reported to have incentivized or kind of kicked off APT28's previous targeting. This isn't the first time that APT28 have done something like this. I think it was back in 2016 and 2018. They were reported to have been hacking various organizations, again, including uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency accessing databases and releasing medical records and emails for some of the US Olympic uh, gymnastics team. And I think there were even some tennis stars in there, Serena and Rafa Nadal, I think were both included in that. So it's interesting. It's kind of, I don't know if it's too early to say they're doing it as prep for the Tokyo Games, or if it was just in direct kind of retaliation to the anti-doping agencies report but you know it's uh it's an interesting angle t- if, it, if it is to be associated or in preparation for tokyo games it's an interesting angle to some kind of some of the activity that we usually see around yeah. these kind of events
0: so what are the like traditional tactics if
1: yeah they haven't changed actually uh, for for this stuff or microsoft are saying that they're using similar tactics that they have used to target other entities like governments uh, military and defense, think tanks, law firms, human rights organizations, etc. So traditionally uh, spear phishing, fraudulent emails, password spraying, or kind of like brute forcing tactics and exploiting internet connected devices. I think it wasn't all that long ago that APT28 were observed conducting a campaign that was doing like uh, i targeting IoT devices yeah. through the dynamic link library. So that one right? Yeah. IoT yeah, yeah. Um, So they're, you know, highly capable, highly active and persistent against all walks of life, really. Um, And I think there was a use of kind of open source and custom malware as well. So advanced toolkit, advanced tactics. And like I said, it's a kind of interesting point uh, the kind of different form of attack that we see to major sporting events. So certainly events like the Olympics often attract attention from a variety of different threat actors due to their significance and the kind of media coverage that they get globally there's loads of stuff to talk about there we could do a whole podcast on that but in a a nutshell it's like you know you get financially motivated cyber criminals that are you know setting up phishing pages and selling fake tickets and trying to capitalize on the event in that way event significance often attract attention from like ideologically motivated activists anonymous have always been quite active towards especially the olympics and Um, sorry
0: adam did you write a blog on i
2: did yes you just dug that up well you're getting the plug on now
0: (laughs) (laughs) i thought i would lead it in lead into it yeah feel free ask away um well i guess first of all i'm trying to find it but i specifically remember it It was
1: the it was the world cup actually last year 2018 world cup in russia
0: yeah okay
1: but talked a little bit about some of those things i was just discussing there in that i think we'd actually detected searchlight had actually detected several fishing pages that were world cup related and fa or fifa related sorry um so we we use that as examples for yeah some of those points I was discussing there. That often you get phishing pages set up because you know you have people from all over the world that are traveling to these places, and you know they are pre- preparing on the internet. So they're yeah. looking for websites, they're looking for stuff to do there, they're looking for tickets to other events that are associated with it, and that is just you know a goldmine for would be cyber criminals because there's just massively increased footfall you know it's not just uh fishing pages and stuff there's all the infrastructure around those events so there's all the free like public wi-fi the you know the heightened use of point of sale systems at like the olympic parks or the the fan zones etc
0: yeah so even though your blog kind of applied to the world cup Mm -hmm. it's still relevant to the upcoming olympics 2020 interestingly
1: yeah you, you we tend to see a lot of the similar um Similar attacks or similar campaigns associated with those sporting events, whether that's from, you know, nation-state espionage, uh, financially motivated cybercrime, or kind of uh, the hacktivists, uh, you tend you tend to see a lot of different um, bits and bobs popping up.
0: Yeah, well, nice. I think just while we're on the topic of blogs, Digital Shadows has also uh, published a blog around um, cybercriminal credit card stores. So. Uh, recently, um, news broke that uh, the AVC uh, Brian's Club had been um, hacked, Hacked, so um, quite ironic in that sense. But um, what we kind of did is we um, sort of looked at the impact of this hack on the wider cyber criminal landscape and sort of what this means specifically for AVCs. And I think stemming from this research or this blog, we also thought we'd to kind of distinguish this, the thought we would distinguish the difference between an abc a forum and a marketplace because i think internally those terms can get a bit confusing as well as externally you know if you have um your eyes if you if you want to have kind of visibility into the deep and dark web we also have this um sort of glossary around the terms um so yeah i definitely if you're interested in ABCs or interested in general more around kind of deep in the dark web um the kind of uh, glossary will definitely help support your reading and kind of help you identify the differences moving forward so you can read that research at uh, resources.digitalshadows.com in addition to the blogs that we've just released um i definitely recommend um supporting your research or as adam likes to to call it supplement your research <laughs>
1: supplement your knowledge actually <laughs> supplement yeah. knowledge. Yeah.
0: okay um by uh signing up to art um into some so that is a coverage around the uh, weekly highlights so and you can read it by signing up to resources.digitalshadows.com so that is it um for this week we hope you enjoyed listening thank you adam and phil for joining me thank you very thank much you for having me yeah. as
1: always